0: It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everybody, welcome to The Common Good on this Thursday afternoon. My name is Brian Fromm, joined by Ian Simpkins. We're excited to have you join us today. Uh, As a reminder, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find us online, 1160hope.com podcast. Wherever it is you get your podcast, go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. I think that's the list, right? That's the buffet of
1: where you can find us. You did say podcast like you just saw a buffet. (laughs) Ooh, meatballs. (laughs) Podcast. Did you know there's continental breakfast here, sweetie? I do love a good buffet. Delicious. (laughs) Twice the speed. (laughs) Podcast. Ooh, Mm -mm -mm. little mini corns over there. (laughs) Now
0: low calorie. Anyway, we're glad to have you joining us, and uh, if you're new to the show, that might have been it for you right there, but we're glad to have you (laughs) and uh, excited to be with you on this Thursday afternoon. A couple times over the last couple days, it feels like we've dealt with articles uh, that have discussed uh, the persecution going around uh, in the Christian church, Worldwide, And I don't know why I'm drawn to these. I think it's so much because as Western Christians, and I don't think we need to feel guilty about this, but uh, we just don't see much of this. And so even when you read it, you're like, that's just crazy. And so uh, Christianity Today – do you notice how much better I'm saying that, by the way? So much better. I I haven't said nearly enough.
1: Yeah, I'm really proud of you. Uh, (laughs) I love your patronizing (laughs) voice. That's not – no, it's actual pride.
0: At ChristianityToday.com, they wrote an article about the top – uh, top 50 um, countries where it's hardest to be a Christian. And so I just found this really fascinating. So let me read some of this for us. And again, I know we had this conversation I think yesterday or the day before, but wondering that when you read articles, what you know kind of what your thoughts are about this. Let me read some of this. Every day, eight Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Wow. Every week, 182 churches or Christian buildings, are attacked 182 yep every month 309 christians are imprisoned unjustly so reports the 2020 world watch list the latest annual accounting from open doors of the 50 countries where christians are the most persecuted for their faith uh david curry president and ceo of open doors usa uh said we cannot let this stand people are speaking out and we have an obligation to hear their cry The listed nations comprise 260 million Christians suffering high to severe level of persecution, up from 245 million in last year's list. Just look at that: 260 million people. Another 50 million could be added from uh, the 23 nations that fall just outside the top 50, such as Mexico, Chad, and the Dominican Republic. A democratic, sorry, Democratic Republic of the Congo for a ratio of one in eight Christians uh, worldwide facing persecution. Wow. So just think of that. One in eight Christians, one in eight of our brothers and sisters worldwide are facing persecution. So before we dive into some of the countries where it's at its worst, when you hear those numbers, are those just hard to comprehend, or are they uh, do they, they, they cause you to pause? What's it cause for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, there, it, obviously numbers that big are, are tough to wrap your brain around, but I, it doesn't actually surprise me. Maybe some of that is because— I've been able to travel a bit in my own life. I feel like that helps at least provide some context. I have, you know, friends that live in a lot of these countries. Is that right? So, so there certainly has been some knowledge, I guess, leading up to this. But it is also overwhelming to think about um, that first one. I think every day, eight Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Mm. Like that reason specifically is not just you know, it's obviously more than eight a day that die for some reason or another. Right. But eight a day specifically dying for their faith, a question that you know, we I think it was yesterday we were talking about Richard Wombrand and Torture for Christ. That's right. And, and That's in right. that in that book there are some accounts where you'll read and think, I don't know that I would have the fortitude to answer like that or yes. to still refrain from what they're asking me to do. Or whatever it is, you know, to to know that this many people each and every single day are facing levels of persecution. I'd be curious to know how they measure, you know, the one stat you read, um, 260 million Christians suffering high to severe levels of persecution. Right. I wonder how they measure That's high to severe question. or what that rubric looks like. But, uh, yeah, those, those numbers are pretty overwhelming. Yeah,
0: last year, Christianity they noted, uh, they wrote an article called Asia Rising as India entered the top 10 for the first time while China rose from 43 to 27 Uh, The trend continues as two in five Asian Christians now face high levels of persecution, up from one in three the previous reporting year. China's crackdown on both state-sanctioned and underground churches and its growing surveillance network added 16 million to uh, open doors tally of Christians facing persecution. And so it is just wild. So the same country – I don't know if you were reading in front of me here – but the same country has been number one since 2002. Did you
1: read it? If not, do you have a guess? uh i haven't read it yet i scrolled further past that oh yeah i would i probably would have guessed that go ahead yeah it's north korea north korea has been
0: number one since 2002 let me read you the top 10 list uh to give you an idea of where our brothers and sisters in christ are facing the greatest uh highest threat for persecution number one's north korea number two is afghanistan number three is somalia number four is libya number five is pakistan Uh, Number six is Eritrea. I've never heard of that place, Hmm. E-R-I-T-R-E-A. Number seven is the Sudan. Number eight is Yemen. Number nine is Iran. And number 10 uh, is India. And uh, there are some big countries in there, for one. Like, that's uh, uh, pretty surprising. That list is where it's the hardest to follow Jesus. You said you spent time in India. Mm Mm-hmm. So does it surprise you to see India number 10 on that list? And later on, no. there's the top 10 countries where Christians face the most violence. Uh-uh. And number eight on that list is India. So I wonder, yeah. having spent time there, if that surprises you or not.
1: It doesn't. Uh, I do know that they're like in India. India is such a diverse, interesting country where, you know, you go from even north to south and there's different languages different geography, different landscape, different food. Um, there is a, a state in the Northeast that is like predominantly Christian. So that's pretty interesting in a country that's really wow. mostly not Christian. There is this like, uh, sort of isolated cluster of like, okay, but here, this one random spot is sort of not random, but, yeah. uh, really densely populated with Christians. Do they, they let they, them
0: be or do they face regular persecution? Well, it depends
1: on who you ask. You know, yeah. I, I met with a couple of pastors while I was there. One of them, said yeah it's a pretty common thing that if you grew up in a in a hindu household and you had some kind of christian conversion experience um you were kicked out of your family Interesting. and excommunicated from your tribe at the very least so you, you meet with these pastors mm. who in some cases have left everything mm. family friends their home like can't return uh it's not always that extreme yeah, that, that yeah. extreme but it, it is that was that alone was really humbling realizing The level of sacrifice you've given just to even pastor this small church of 30 people um, is unthinkable. But, you know, we've talked with a number of people who have international experience. And a lot of the countries on this top 10 list also seem to be where the church is growing the fastest. It's amazing. Isn't that wild? It's amazing. Wasn't that uh, Tertullian that said the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church? Yes. that idea of like where Christians are actually most persecuted, where it's hardest to be there we should expect to see this sort of explosive Which is a weird
0: story of the book of Acts, right? Right.
1: Yeah, it's wild. There's another list here where
0: the most Christians were martyred between November of 2018 and October of 2019. Uh, Just think about this. In the country of Nigeria, 1,350 Christians were martyred for their faith. Uh, And then 924 in the Central African Republic, 200 in Sri Lanka, and it goes down from there. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. These are great wake-up calls for me, and this is why I wanted to start the show with this. Uh, these are just really good wake-up calls because, like you said, you've had a chance to go to some of these places and you get kind of woken up, but most of us, we're never going to be in these places and it becomes easy, out of sight, out of mind. Right. And so we'll say it again. I know we just talked about this yesterday, but uh, it's on us uh, where who are, we live in relative peace uh, to remember those who are being martyred, those who are being persecuted, to pray for them, to do whatever we can for them. Maybe there's something we could be doing through our government, whatever else it can be. But at the very least, uh, these people need to be uh, in our prayers. So uh, well, we're off and running here on a Thursday afternoon. Coming up next, a, uh, an interesting story I read on foxnews.com uh, about a story of grace and forgiveness. We're going to talk about that next here. The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160 Hope for Your Life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you join us today. Uh, before we jump into what's really a fascinating story that challenged me when I read it about my <laughs> the limits of the forgiveness and grace I'd be willing to show another person, I want to tell that story here in a second. <laughs> uh, let me tell you something from our friends at In Touch Ministries. Uh, the new year is underway, and our friends at In Touch Ministries want to bless you with a
1: complimentary,
0: complimentary, complimentary, complimentary. complimentary.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a T sound. I would add one more syllable. Complimentary? <laughs> <laughs> that's, you added one emphasis. Uh, that's a good one. <laughs> All right, we'll start over.
0: The new year is underway, and our friends at in Touch Ministries want to bless you with a complimentary wall calendar <laughs> called Blessed Be it's the Church. <laughs> no, it's it's leaves a in the <laughs> Starting over. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the wall calendar called Blessed Be the Church featuring Charles Stanley's original photography of churches around the world an inspirational Bible verse from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and a motivational quote from Dr. Stanley accompany each photo. Hmm. So get yours today absolutely free at 1160hope.com slash contest, and everyone who up will be entered to win a copy of the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible. Whoa. Thank you. I was waiting for the reaction from the audience. That's a big deal. (laughs) So sign up today at 1160hope.com slash contest. Contest, and you can win that. Uh, So we'd encourage you to do that. All right. I was reading uh, online today this story uh, on Fox News. Let me read the headline. California cyclist hit by truck, nearly killed, befriends driver who hit him. Bitterness doesn't help anything, he says. Let me read some of the story. Wow. Uh, Because as I read it today, I was like, wow. Like, I'm not sure I could do this. Yeah. Uh, A California man, an avid cyclist who was hit by a truck last May and suffered serious injuries as a result, some of which he's still recovering from can personally attest to the power of forgiveness. During Memorial Day weekend last year, Jack Keith, age 46, was driving along the Pacific Coast Highway after finishing a morning surfing with friends. A portion of the route offers scenic views of the Pacific, and Keith, who was driving between 50 and 60 miles per hour uh, at the time, was distracted by the waves for a split second, not realizing his truck had drifted into the bike lane parallel to the highway. The next thing he knew, a cyclist was airborne. It all happened so quickly. I looked up and boom, I saw him flying through the air. I was like, oh my goodness, what did I just do? Did I kill this guy? Oh my God. Keith, who said he immediately pulled over and called 911. Two cyclists behind uh, the cyclist happened to be uh, doctors who helped the man as they waited for emergency vehicles to arrive. When people were tending to him, I never saw him regain consciousness. I never saw him move a muscle. I thought he was either paralyzed or dead, said Keith. Uh, Tom Savilla, who was the man who was hit, was rushed to the hospital where he was found to have a fractured back, broken pelvis, torn knee ligaments, and bruised intestines. He also suffered two blood clots on his brain. Keith was unable to get information from the hospital on his condition due to privacy rules, uh, and the Huntington Beach Police Department did not return his call. So he's looking for information, can't get it. Gosh. He told the newspaper he was able to get in touch with one of the witnesses who later contacted Savilla's wife, Jeanette Savilla. Five days following the incident, she reached out to Keith's shock and relief. She texted me on my lunch break saying, hey, this is Tom's wife, the guy who was involved in the accident. He's going to be all right. We've been praying for you. Wow. I could breathe easier after that day, said Keith, who noted he was distraught in the days following the crash. A few days later, Keith was invited to come visit Sevilla in the hospital. When thinking back on the moment, the 46-year-old said he was nervous and unsure how it would go. I didn't know what to expect. Uh, noting the meeting, I just wanted to do the right thing, noting the meeting was emotional but never awkward. I was blown away that they were okay with me being there and that they were worried about me. It was nice to start, nice way to start the healing process. Sevilla, whose knee ligaments uh, were surgically reconstructed, as was his pelvis, is still recovering. He continues to have troubles with his knees, Uh, and it goes on to say, Uh, Jack made a mistake, Sevilla said. I've been distracted before and veered into the next lane. Do I wish it hadn't happened? Yeah, but it did. I think if people can understand uh, this, then people would learn to forgive because forgiveness is a big part of your own mental and physical health. Let me stop there. Uh, I find that to be a fascinating story. He says some things that we've probably preached on about forgiveness, but man, this guy's li- and his wife are living it out and it's providing healing across the store.
1: Well, you mentioned before you read it that you you didn't think you'd be able to do it. Why I do you think that is?
0: I think I'd be really angry. Yeah. Um, and not that this guy's not at times. Right. But I think That's what I was gonna the say. Anger is maybe not the right word. I think I'd be bitter. Like, really? You got distracted and you veered off? I want you to feel guilty. Yeah. Right? I want you to be in as much pain, maybe emotionally as I am. Like that sounds terrible, but I think that would be my human gut reaction. Why do you why do you think that is? Like, what is what is the Justice, uh, yeah right? It's this feeling of like you you like ruined my life, right? Uh, so it doesn't make me that sad. Oh, gosh, this sounds terrible, but it, my I would guess my gut reaction was if he did that, if someone did that to me through their no negligence, right. or Someone in my family, right? I would want to say I want you to suffer. Like I don't want to also be your means. I would think eventually I'd warm up, I'd come around, but I would think my initial reaction to like, I don't want to care about that person. I don't right. want to talk- Why right. do you think you'd react? Well, I, you okay, or,
1: but I have a follow-up question. So like <laughs> yeah. want, wanting him to suffer, but but letting yourself get bitter are two different things. Exactly. Right? Like what what about becoming bitter do you think feels like justice toward him? Like let's say he doesn't feel bad. You'd probably still get bitter. You'd probably get more bitter, to be honest, right? Like, point. oh, that guy. It's a very valid point. He's just I going to get ice cream with his family, and here I am. Like your bitterness. Yeah, I guess I would put it this way. Okay, not that I would want to be bitter.
0: I think also an accident like this would probably send me into a dark spot. <laughs> yeah, where I really wouldn't be giving a lot of thought to the mental condition of the guy who did it to who who feels badly about it. Right, he's reaching out to my his wife. He's uh i would think you know i'm, I'm coming across as a really dark uh, dark person here i think eventually <laughs> i would warm up but i mean 5 days after the accident like he's still in serious trouble and they're like hey yeah no we're praying for you yeah. it's a really that's a really great picture of forgiveness and grace yeah and i think it's within that time period i'm not sure i'd be able to show it yeah a couple get, of weeks later that. a month later yeah probably
1: yeah the 5 days part is five certainly days impressive is pretty
0: impressive but it's interesting they said Many of the reason they did this was for their own well-being, their own ability to get past this, which I think is really great wisdom.
1: Well, that's kind of my point. When you talk about bitterness, yep. you know, like I heard a preacher once talk about forgiveness is taking bolt cutters to the change that bind you to the wrong that was done to you. Mm-hmm. Like we tend to think that like holding on to it is really going to show them or it's really going to, like yeah. you said, bring some justice when the vast majority of the time the person isn't even thinking about it. And we hold on to this bitterness, the old right. adage, right? Like unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. Yeah, It it really ultimately isn't helpful. And I think we get forgiveness a little jacked up sometimes in the church because forgiveness is not pretending that wrong wasn't done. Right.
0: It's not the removal of consequences. It's not yeah. the removal of
1: con- consequences. It's not uh, diminishing the harm. Like people are probably listening now even that are like, Thinking of someone or some incident, you know, it isn't. It doesn't even necessarily reconciliation. I think that that's one I point. hear a lot. Like yeah. people, hey, so and so abused you for years and years and years, and forgiveness means you should be in a relationship with them. Yeah. I don't think that's true at all. I think you can forgive someone. I think you can take bolt cutters to the chains, and then also still decide. I don't think that person should be in my life. That's you know, point. like I, I think there's space for that. I don't often know that the church does a great job of talking about that, but it is canceling a debt, you know, and yeah. a debt is a very real thing. This guy hit this other guy. He was legitimately wronged. Yeah. And part of forgiveness is saying, I'm not pretending what, what you did wasn't wrong mm-hmm. and that I'm not totally hurt, but I'm canceling the debt. I'm, yeah. I'm wiping it clean. I think yep. that, is, that is easier said than done, obviously, but I think thinking about Thinking about it like that can be really helpful. Yeah,
0: absolutely, it's just impressive to hear them read. Like we're praying for you. We're worried yeah, about what right. you're doing, uh, and and the effect to read that it had on this guy, uh, his last name Keith, who 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 caused the accident, is really profound. Like we always talk about forgiveness, yeah. uh, in in some theoretical ways. This is a very tangible story that says, wow. This is bringing healing across the board because someone's showing undeserved grace, but grace nonetheless. Right. Uh, that is uh, that is a wonderful picture of the gospel, quite frankly. So we'd love we'll put this story up on our Facebook page. We'd love to hear your reaction to it. Coming up next, Relevant Magazine asks three ways to help you grow spiritually that we don't normally talk about. Coming up next, here on the Common Good, aim eleven sixty, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Speaking of Facebook, you said we've had some little lively discussion going on from some on the Facebook (laughs) today. Yep. If you want to see it, go to the page. You'll see it there. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. And as always, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, if you're listening to us in the future right now
1: i hope it's fun i hope mm-hmm. it's nice oh do we have flying cars yet i know are you how, how are we doing up there <laughs> my hair go gray
0: <laughs> we uh we are grateful to those of you who listen to the podcast at relevant magazine uh, uh how do you say that last first name undi colber a u n d i undi yeah. colber says three ways to grow spiritually we don't hear enough about. And I, I was uh, intrigued by this when I first saw it, because uh, as, as Christ followers, we're constantly asking one another a question, how do I grow spiritually? Read the Bible, pray, go to church. Like We've got our answers.
1: You, you find that that question is being asked constantly? Regularly. Really? How does that sound? How do I I'm grow not saying that
0: people are always engaging in it, but I, I oh. hear that question a okay. lot. How do you grow spiritually? Are so,
1: okay. you not? Not once in my entire career. I'm kidding. I'm I was like,
0: wow. <laughs> yeah, you seemed really yeah. – I'm staring. Like, whoa.
1: Time <laughs> yeah, out, people. Yeah, Ian, you should, you should not be a pastor, Ian. This is <laughs> – That's not, not good at all. One person has asked <laughs> that ever. I, well, I mean, being a little cheeky, but I, it's not – I don't typically hear people outright – Yeah, I, I agree with that. They don't normally – more like, 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 pastor, how ah, do my, we grow? My marriage is on the rocks or how do I know God's will or it tends to be a lot more – like, how do I do this thing? That's a good point. Versus how do I grow spiritually? But I, I hear that. Too. And it's also a lot of you will get from people I feel in a rut or I
0: feel like yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. growing, which is a, which a reverse you, way of saying, how do I grow? Totally. And so, uh, this author gives three ways that she says we don't normally talk
1: about enough. So why don't you take the first one? Why don't I take the first
0: you one? You do that every time I say, <laughs> why don't you take the
1: first one? As long as you keep saying it that why way, I'll, don't keep, that I'll keep responding. responding. Uh, embrace an inc- incarnational life. Jesus came to us in flesh and blood, John 1.14, though he could have chosen any way he pleased, which I was just talking about a couple weeks ago. We, I think, sometimes miss that aspect That's of it. He didn't have to come as a body necessarily. Interesting. This reveals something important about God's view of our bodies. It means they matter. It also tells us that we don't need to view them as simply shells for our spirits, but instead— uh, as a part of our essential humanity. We also were talking about that. Um, from this posture of understanding, God doesn't simply care about part of us, but all of us. We're more likely to care for ourselves well, too. In a sense, this work honors what it means to be human and the incarnational life that we are called to in Christ. It's not just our spirits that experience God, but our bodies, too. That's well said. Our mind body perspective looks at more than a person's logical and cognitive brain. Instead, looks to integrate baseline functioning like breathing, safety, and body posture. All of these functions can be related to our nervous system, and when it becomes dysregulated, we find ourselves knowing the right answers but unable to act on it. Practices like centering prayer, yoga, and mindfulness help us to abide in our bodies and stay awake to an incarnational life. Mm. Do you think
0: that? Do you think that we normally kind of uh, – Separate the spirit from the body.
1: Well, we—I mean, we all know that yoga is Satan worship. That so is true. I, I wouldn't include that. In the, no, I'm just kidding. I'm clear. <laughs> I hope people know I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, 100. Clearly, said, I, don't like yogurt I, oh. <laughs> It's
0: all the cultures. It's the culture wars. I mean, you said you were talking to someone about this, so. Uh,
1: yeah, I think we were even talking here about it at one point. Richard Foster's uh, Celebration of Discipline, That's right? That was a book I read in undergrad, and we had a professor, a mentor, a friend of mine. Uh, Dave Sanders, who's been on the show now yes, before, he talking, he was the one that introduced me even to like the hands-open posture prayer. Mm. Um, and I remember thinking, does that really matter though? Isn't prayer just kind of happening like in my soul or in my head? Yeah, and, like, yeah, I don't yeah. know. What you do with your body matters even if maybe you're not even fully sure that this is what you – like if you're not even fully in a position to receive, sometimes assuming that posture first is actually uh, a really helpful way of right, helping yeah. better – integrate and engage with your body and spirit i think it's good that's good number two lean on your resources the book of james tells us every good and perfect gift
0: comes from above from a neuroscience perspective this includes parts of ourselves that have grown resilient and strong through experiential knowledge this can this change can happen because of a phenomenon called brain plasticity wow you should be reading this one (laughs) which essentially means our brains are capable of adapting Uh, Remember the time you stood up for yourself, even though your cheeks were burning and your heart pumped fast? Do you recall when you changed a tire on the side of the road as the rain poured? Or what about when you felt God's presence with you as you wept? Each of these experiences is now recorded in the neural pathways of your brain and the body uh, and body can be accessed by recalling the memory. Hmm. Psychiatrist Kurt Thompson discusses the importance of, quote, paying attention to what we're paying attention to. This means as we notice or give our attention to something, we have the ability to reflect and leverage our strengths for future situations as well. Neuroplasticity becomes even more helpful to us as we notice it's happening. Hmm. So the next time you're facing something intimidating or scary, recall a time you did something that helped you feel capable or strong. Hmm. Allow yourself to sense the depth of your breathing, the sensations in your body, and remember God's nearness with you. Consider what it felt like to be successful in that situation and give yourself permission to use the same experience to help you prepare. The experiential knowledge in our body gives us resilience and resources as we
1: look to try new things. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little surprised that you picked this one, this this article. Okay. Does this this sound like – well, you've even mentioned on previous shows how things like mindfulness and meditation sort of spooked you for a while. They did, but I believe in them. Like I don't – everything they say
0: here I think is true. It's not part of – I think I was one to regularly separate yeah. body and spirit. Right, I think right, right. I was ready. What are ways that we do that? Mm, I think when we oh, we're about to get into this one here, but uh, separating body and spirit is like not. Here's a simple one: when we don't exercise, right? right. What r- what role does that then play right. in even my spiritual life? I right. think those can be connected. So.
1: The last one is really important. Rest is a part of the program. Good therapists and athletic coaches have at least one thing in common. They understand rest is essential to a healthy body and spirit. We can't break down our muscles without letting them have time to build back up. Otherwise, they'll deteriorate. It's simple physiology. Jesus, too, modeled and encouraged rest. He often went away alone to pray or sleep. For many of us, uh, we love the idea of rest. Hypothetically, we can see why it matters. We know God set aside a Sabbath on purpose with our best in mind, but in reality, many of us frequently disregard what our bodies, minds, and spirits tell us about how fragile we actually are. We push past bedtimes. Never done that before. (laughs) Ignore exhaustion and overschedule ourselves. Also never done that. Which, if we're honest, is incredibly easy to do in our overstimulated culture. And yet, if we were to give ourselves permission to actually listen to the limits of our body and the loving command of our God, We may find the wisdom of experiencing our fragility freeing. And indeed, we may find rest is more than just a good idea. Totally agree. That's good. And she closes,
0: learning to cultivate a mind-body-spirit connection is vital to a Christian life. The next time you're tempted to stay stuck in your brain, remember God created us to be fully alive. I I find this, um, and I think a lot of stuff you've brought our way on this show has helped me. You know, one of the things we say we enjoy about doing the show is being challenged and learned, And uh, kind of the ways we've always done things may be different. Uh, and so I find this really helpful to go, you know what, our body and our spirit and our, our relationship with God, our minds, all of it's interconnected. You yeah. know, that one's not more important, you know, isn't doesn't negate the other. And so to think in that way holistically, I think is really important.
1: I, I wonder, though, if just thinking that way is actually that helpful, though. Like it ends by saying, hey, next time you're tempted to do this, just remember that you're created to be fully alive. Like I don't know that that actually – does how would you write m- that much. Oh, I don't know that I know how to write it. I think the whole article um shows at least to some degree why we need a better theology of the body. I think mm. that's probably something that a lot of people have never even considered. And just simply willing our brains to remember they're connected is maybe a good baby step, but I think it has to go deeper than that. I think a lot of us end up maybe you're even hearing this, you know, segment right now and they're thinking, yeah, but how do I how do I do that? You know, maybe rest is a good starting point, but um, yeah, this disintegration, I think, runs deeper than, than just simply remembering that our bodies That's matter. Point. You know. That's what's acting upon it, for sure. Uh, so you can read that on our Facebook page. Coming up next,
0: along those same lines, uh, at the Gospel Coalition, uh, help, I'm brain fried and burnt out. We're going to discuss that next year on the Gospel Coalition here on the Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everybody! Welcome back to the Common Good. I am eleven sixty. Okay, life. yeah, that was just a high. Oh boy! Oh, okay. we are here. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't go anywhere. Where did you go for the last couple of <laughs> minutes? Here, uh, my name is Brian Fromm, along with Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe. Go ahead. Write, review. Just do it. Come on. We ask you all the time. Just do it. That is the
1: like least appealing ask. I've... Yeah.
0: So I opened my sermon this week. It was kind of fun. Do and, you and,
1: Go and ahead was... and open your Bibles. Well, one of,
0: the, one of the people pushed back against me a little bit, but I, I talked about one of the more dangerous words in our lives is the word should huh. and how it's not motivating. Sure. I was talking about generosity, and I said, usually in churches, we just say, you should be generous. You right. should do this. And I just talked about how that's not motivating. Yeah. And somebody was like, no, I think as Christians, we- No pun intended, should use the word should. And I was like, "Hmm, okay. That made me think of like, hey, just, you should go just subscribe, (laughs) rate, and review to the podcast. Just do it already. It does
1: feel like you're trying to uh, leverage like some sort of digital duty. Like (laughs) it's your duty to subscribe, rate, review. I have kids now. So just when you say the word duty, it makes me laugh. (laughs) Yeah. I laughed to myself as I said it. I was trying to find a synonym real quick. I was like, don't say duty on the radio. And I, you,
0: you did it twice, three times. I said
1: duty or you said duty? You did. Who's been saying duty? You, you're continuing to. That doesn't sound like me.
0: <laughs> John, if we could just isolate those, just him saying duty over and over again, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, so at the Gospel Coalition, they reviewed a book called The Common Rule, and uh, it's titled this, Help, I'm Brain Fried and Burnt Out. And before we get into this, do you feel like, maybe it's just more how... I or we are feeling, but do you feel like you're interacting with more people? uh Because I do, who are using the word "burnt out," like the phrase, "like I feel burnt out, I feel fried, I feel whatever else it might be."
1: Does this feel like a growing phenomenon to you? I think maybe it's just because we're getting older. I don't know. I, I the feel like around are older. Yeah, I, I think so. Like, do you do you remember ever feeling burnt out when Never. you were twenty? Never. You're like, man, I'm feeling really emotionally tired.
0: But I guess that's one thing. Like, I know a lot of people in their late 20s, early 30s, like at a church or other places who do say that to me. Like, oh, you know, I've just got so much on my plate. I'm just tired. I'm worn out. And I'm like,
1: well, and, and not There's something to be
0: said for it. I'm for not saying sure. they wrong.
1: I think with the increase of accessibility yeah. and digital communication, I think that that... I, I think that's probably inevitable, to be honest, that yes. the like, rate of burnout will be increasing if we're not careful. Yep. If we're not uh, implementing stuff like what we're going to talk about. And so
0: this book called The Common Rule, Habits of of Purpose for an Age of Distraction, uh, it says this. Numerous studies demonstrate a correlation between social media consumption and negative effects on mental and emotional health. Uh, Justin Early, a mergers and acquisitions lawyer in Virginia, has experience with this correlation, and I suspect many of us do as well. Uh, We feel pulled in a million different directions. Uh, and are tempted to forsake mental, emotional, and spiritual health for the sake of producing or achieving more. Hence his book, The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction, is both timely and welcome. Very interesting that this book is written by a mergers and acquisitions lawyer. Isn't that interesting? That is uh, very fascinating. So it goes on to say, the book is divided into two parts. The first offers a short explanation of a, quote, rule of life, both historically and practically, And Early then proposes eight habits, four daily and four weekly, that make up the common rule. The daily habits include, and listen to these, and I wonder if you think these are like he's covering the the most important ones here. The daily habits include kneeling prayer three times a day, one meal with others, one hour with your phone off, and scripture reading before unlocking your phone. I love it. He says these habits are tailor made for our technologically crowded and media saturated culture. You already said you love it, but tell me why.
1: I I think they're uh, they're subtly countercultural. They're almost like rebellious mm. in in the ways that I think we consume information and consume food and consume conversation. I think that they're really achievable. I mm-hmm. think it's something that I, I imagine you could preach on these four, yeah. and people aren't going to feel like they're necessarily being beat over the head by like some you know like some practices like there are things you know you're supposed to do but upon hearing them you're like gosh how am I ever gonna accomplish that when you hear like one meal with others you're like oh I could do that oh I should read my bible before my phone well my Bible's on my phone. I guess I could buy a Bible for ten dollars. You yes. know what I mean? Like yep. they feel achievable, and I think that's part of what makes this whole principle so brilliant to me. Is that, you mm. um, know, I've mentioned the Ortberg quote before that habits eat willpower for breakfast. That's right. That we become our habits. And I was just listening to a podcast on the common rule a couple a couple of weeks ago, and one of the guys, one of the pastors, was saying that the word "rule" there in the English is actually like a pretty unfortunate translation because it it actually is much closer to. Like the scaffolding um, that you would create to grow a vine, like mm. the infrastructure to get a vine up off the ground uh, in order for it to actually fully yeah. grow and flourish. That's the idea here is the scaffolding. It's this framework to allow you to actually fully grow and flourish as God intended. That's really
0: good. He It says early leans on thinkers like James K.A. Smith and Andy Crouch to inform the spiritual importance of habit formation. And he goes on to talk about kneeling and why that's important. Uh, It reminds us that the physicality of this habit relates to its spiritual foundation. So he goes from daily habits and then the weekly habits build on the daily habits. Let me know what you think about these. Okay. The weekly habits include one hour of conversation with a friend, curating one's media to four hours, fasting from something for 24 hours and having an established Sabbath rest. The emphasis on the weekly habits, just as with the daily ones, is to cultivate a life focused on God and others. How about those?
1: I I love all of them. I am already – maybe I'm predisposed to like this in general. Like I've skimmed the book. I have, have you? It's, yeah, it just is the kind of stuff that I feel like – uh, I, I wish I had read 20 years ago, to be honest. And, and again, um, I know that we only have limited time here. You can go to the and all of these habits are listed out. You can, yep. there's video resources, you can buy the book if you want. Yep. Um, but the other thing that is interesting to me is that this, this actually isn't a new concept. This nope. is another in a wave of like ancient practices right. that is like sort of getting a, a bit of a paint job. And I was like, whoa, look at, oh my God, have you ever thought of this? Like, yeah, the mystics have been doing this for thousands of years. This is, you know, yes. this is, but it's part of what I I think makes it so compelling because like a lot of this anchors us to our tradition actually in a more profound way in ways that maybe a lot of us haven't considered that, oh, this is actually a lot of how the early church used to yeah. live. And we just, that's all sort of been choked out somehow. And I think, uh, I think that's a really helpful component. Absolutely. What do you think falls under the
0: umbrella of curating one's media to four hours? Are we talking like? For a week, four hours of TV,
1: four hours on the phone, like, that's it. Uh, Yeah. For a lot of us, that'd be really hard, but that's probably the point. So on the website, it says, Stories matter so much that we must handle them with utmost care. Resisting the constant stream of addictive media with an hour limit means we are forced to curate what we watch. Curating stories means that we seek stories that uphold beauty, that teach us to love justice, and that turn us to community. Interesting. So, I, I it sounds like specifically is talking about television mm-hmm. and television. I'm assuming would include streaming and all of yep. that stuff. But yep. I, yeah, that would be another one to uh, to think about how we curate even our social media, because that's another form of media right. that we're constantly sort of almost habitually reaching for and interacting with. That's right. So the article ends this way: the unique value of this
0: book is that it's significantly other focused. Perhaps the most radical thing Christians can do in our world is to rest, open our homes, put down our devices, and recognize the person across from us. To those instared by the false, quote, freedom of technology, media, and productivity, early shines brilliant light on uh, on how our culture subtly places these shackles on us. Mm. Ministers and lay readers alike take notice. Burnout is coming if you don't find rest in Christ. To that end, the common rule offers a better way— a heart made alive in Christian community, empowered by the Spirit and guided by the Word—that is really well said and a good word for the culture that we are a part of.
1: Yeah, especially as we're like still sort of at the beginning of the year. Like maybe yeah, this is the exactly. kind of thing that this is better in my mind than like just a resolution. Yep. Because right? what is a resolution? It's like I really want to do this. Thing. I want to do this, this. Actually, is sort of like a infrastructure to help get us there.
0: Speaking of resolutions, I want to ask you. Uh, a question or two that I was asked by somebody in my church. So not an article or anything. I just want a little pastoral, uh, how would Pastor Ian answer this <laughs> question? We're going right. to do that next year on the Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life.
1: Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here. And after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference. I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did. And so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so – They offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today.
0: Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today on this Thursday afternoon. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, Online, 1160hope.com. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Not to put you on the spot, but isn't a Thursday night date night for you?
1: It sure is.
0: Oh, okay. okay. I'm not going to ask you what you have planned tonight, but have fun.
1: I appreciate that, man. I have not been doing great at date night as of late. But tonight, tonight's tonight's the night. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm around a corner. I'm turning <laughs> over a new leaf. We'll be getting pizza. It is. Oh, that does sound good. It actually doesn't sound bad. I know. Not date night for me, but uh, I've been reminding
0: you almost hourly since the uh, since the uh, earlier in the week. I'm heading to Mexico next week. What? With my wife. When? So- Saturday morning, my friend. Wait a minute. You'll be back by Monday, though, right? I will not. What am I supposed to do? You're just going to talk into these microphones, and you're going to
1: look up and wait for me to say something, and I'm just not going to be there. That's pretty much how it goes anyway. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. Sorry, I was tweeting. (laughs) uh,
0: Actually, next week, for those of you who are regular listeners, uh, it'll be your treat. Ian will have a host of of, uh, guests on here. And, oh, uh, you, you were trying to say host, of host hosts. Of guest hosts. <laughs> <laughs> you will have the host of hosts. And,
1: uh, and you always hosts. do a good
0: job when I'm away. You always have really smart, really fascinating people. So I look forward to feeling uh, insignificant when I come back, and okay. then taking my You're, chair back.
1: Okay, you have to stop with that. You're not insignificant. No, you said the
0: same thing. You, like you and I, you we,
1: matter, Brian. But we put people on who are so much smarter than I us. know, that but you, like, you are not the sum of your intelligence or your accomplishments. Thankfully. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are loved, preach it and revered. Keep going. <laughs> well, That ruined it for me. I'm done.
0: <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, and you touched on it with um, with uh, New Year's resolutions too. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to take off your radio hat, put on your uh, your uh, pastor hat, which is never mind the same hat.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, same
0: hat. So the other day I was uh, I wasn't necessarily this wasn't the point of the sermon, but in the sermon at our church, uh, it might have been two weeks ago. Uh, mentioned hey you know in the new year make a commitment to to read your Bible to pray like talking how these are just very foundational right um and that a lot of us you know when we don't do it the new year's while artificial you know it's just a calendar changing it is psychologically a new start a clean slate so read your bible spend time praying uh and afterwards somebody who's really young in the faith came up to me and they I love new believers who just they don't know what questions they're supposed to ask and not ask. And right. so it wasn't even asked sheepishly. It wasn't even asked with embarrassment of any kind. Right. This person asked me a uh, two-part question. How do you read the Bible and how do you pray? Hmm. And and I was uh, staggered by that question a little bit. Uh, and so I'm going to ask you, and I'll tell you how I eventually answered it, but I want to know how you would answer that question. Someone come, Maybe this has happened to you, or if yeah. not, you could totally picture this happening how would you tell someone who's pro- probably you know uh, not used to reading their Bible or young in their faith and they say, how do I read the Bible? Yeah. They're not even like, well, should I or why would I? But no, literally I want to do it. I just don't know how to do it. I don't know how to pray. Yeah. Uh, and that struck me. There's probably a lot of people asking that when when uh, I'm up there preaching going, you should read your Bible.
1: You should pray. Right. How would you answer that question? Both well, uh, those questions? Yeah, I'd probably – I mean I know that we can't do that here. I'd probably ask them a few questions okay. about some of their own – History and context and familiarity. I don't want to get a sense. This person has
0: very little familiarity. Okay. Very little uh, church background.
1: Yeah, I would probably, I mean, just for starters, I I typically encourage people to read Luke and Acts first to start there. A lot of people, and it makes sense, they just start from the beginning, you know? So they, so Genesis is cool, and then Exodus is like, all right, this is some of this familiar and then we're like, Numbers, do you rhyme? and then we're, then we're in like, Getting weird, yeah, Leviticus. Level. Now I'm like, okay, is this supposed to, and I, I, I've i uh, had people outright say, hey, a pastor years ago told me to start in the New Testament. Um, does the story keep repeating itself all the time? And I'm like, oh man, oh. didn't even prepare them for the four gospels. So yep. I think yep. having some kind of reference, and there's actually, I'm going to sound like a like a millennial now, there's some really great apps and resources. You yes. know, the, we mentioned U version all the time. I
0: talked about to this person. About and there's the a lot resources. of
1: Bible reading plans. There's a, yeah. an app that I think is even better called Read Scripture. Is uh, a wonderful. It's app. remarkable. It's put together by the Bible Project guys. That's another place I'd maybe encourage you to start. The Bible Project has all sorts of resources and videos and podcasts about you know taking a deeper dive into some of these books. And I talked to themes. someone the other
0: day. Yeah, speaking of apps, who yeah. is obsessed with the Daily Audio Bible? Oh, yeah, because they read the. You know, you're listening to it in your car. They read the text, and then they also talk about it. They yeah. comment on it, give you the background. So yet another resource.
1: There. Really, really good. Uh, the prayer thing. We actually wait, just, wait, let me ask you a question. Oh, sure, question. sure, sure. Uh, because
0: uh, I know why you said it, but even some people who've raised in the church would be. It would kind of mess them to know that Luke and Acts is kind of one story.
1: Uh, yeah written by the same guy yep. right so uh and that's
0: that, why you probably tell them mm-hmm. luke and acts it's basically one longer book
1: well and i think it's also especially if you're brand new to the faith too i think that a lot of times we stop at the resurrection right. right which is a wonderful central part of the entire thing but you know how the church then behaved following all of that is really i think that's really significant and, yeah. and sometimes we don't Encourage people enough, I don't think, or they'll tend to read a gospel and then they'll jump right to Romans, which is theologically rich and robust, but it can also be super overwhelming. Yeah, you know, so like I, uh, I'll typically go Luke Acts, and then I'll recommend like a, like a Philippians or Galatians as well as James. Interesting. I can talk more about why maybe another time, but like in general, um, these apps can help kind of curate. You know, what are you? Interested in what's what's yep. kind of your general background temperature. I think all that's really helpful. Yep. And and coupling some of that with the prayer stuff. So like one of the acronyms that we talked about on Sunday is, uh, is called ACTS. Have you used the ACTS acronym mm-hmm. of prayer? Mm-hmm. It's a pretty – it's like a centuries old – maybe not that old. But yep. uh, so A stands for adoration. Yeah. And it's just simply saying to God, thank you for being you. Thank mm-hmm. you for what you do in the world. Um, C is confession. Uh, it's a thing that us Protestants sometimes – don't do a great job of, but like actually articulating and in some cases speaking, hey, here's where I've screwed up and just sitting in that a little bit and experiencing God's forgiveness in that. T is thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we say is gratitude is incomplete if it goes unexpressed. So thanksgiving is the actual expression of gratitude. And then supplication. Supplication is us bringing requests to Mm -hmm. God and knowing that like God's not bothered by them. He desires for us to you know, approach him in that way. And I think there's ways that you can pray through scripture. You know, we've talked about Lectio Divina, this Mm -hmm. way of like reading something and then just meditating on it, praying on it, contemplating about what I just read. Like that's a way to read scripture that I think can be really fruitful. And obviously there's a whole lot of other things that you could do, but I'm curious to know how, how you answered this. So I
0: talked a lot about the, the various resources available. Some of the very ones you talked about you version and read scripture and trying to tell this person like, you know, there, there's, there's things out there to help you. Right. Like, right. uh, and I tried to, uh, tell her that, you know what? I use these things. Like, this isn't like just for the person who can't understand anything. Right. Like right. I, I'm a Bible major in college. I preach and, and I love using these things. Um, and so gave, gave her some of those, uh, with prayer. I also asked her, like, are you, um, you know, are you, are, are you a writer? Are you a, yeah. and so we talked about journaling. And uh, you know, uh, you you don't need to just be. You can do this. You don't just have to be prayer time. Doesn't have to just be kneeling with your eyes closed, right. your hands folded. Uh, like some people, they do better writing, and uh, or going
1: for a bike ride, exactly. or like all of I that. I talked to her about game. how
0: I, when the weather is nice, I love to go on prayer walks. I mm-hmm. like to walk outside, and in, in, uh, that that helps me pray. Uh, and the last thing I talked to her about. Uh, was the value and the uh, necessity of community, um, that there are people here at our church, people around you uh, who can come alongside you and, and pray with you or hmm. who can help you understand how they pray. Like, um, and I was really proud of this person. They actually went to a community group that night and, and the community group leader told me they had some of this discussion. So that's awesome. Uh, it's cool when you see people like uh, like, like thirsting
1: Right, like yeah. Um, well, a lot of times, a lot of churches. I don't know if you do this, and I should have asked you before we were ahead. talking about it. But you like provide questions, small group questions, or like based on the sermon. Yeah. So, so that's if someone's going Usually. to your church. Right? <laughs> but that that's a guide, though. That's a yes. good rubric. Like, hey, you you just sat and listened to someone talk about it for a half hour. It's already in your brain. Yep. Here's some passages about it. That can be a really helpful. Sort of structure i think yep. to approach scripture and prayer
0: and it was a great uh, lesson for me as a preacher and a pastor who's grew up in the church that sometimes it's not so easy as hey remember people read your bible like right pray. and uh talking through those uh is very helpful so Agreed. hopefully that's helpful for you as you kick off the new year uh love to be people who are in the word and people of prayer uh, well, coming up next, we're going to talk about a tweet that went a little bit viral oh boy. and sparked a debate uh, about parenting a little bit. We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter. We're going to talk about Twitter here in just a moment Mm -hmm. at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com or find our podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, Before we jump into this viral tweet, let me tell you something from our friends at In Touch Ministries. The new year is underway, and our friends at In Touch Ministries want to bless you with a complimentary. Why am I having trouble with that word now today? It's in my head. A complimentary (laughs) wall-free wall wall calendar called Blessed to Be the Church, featuring Charles Stanley's original photography of churches around the world. An inspirational Bible verse from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and a motivational quote from Dr. Stanley accompany each photo. So get yours today absolutely free at 1160hope.com slash contest. Hmm. And everyone who signs up will be entered to win a copy of the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible. So sign up today at 1160hope.com slash contest. That is 1160hope.com slash contest. Ooh, you got like somber at the end there. No, just land in the plane. (laughs) 1160hope.com slash contest. Nice. (laughs) Creepy and nice. So let me tell you about this tweet. Uh, I'll give you some of the background, and then I would love to know your reaction to it. Uh, this is at Religion News. Uh, religionnews.com says it's the sort of advice about parenting and progressive faith that Cindy Wang Brandt has been sharing for years through her Parenting Forward book podcast, and conferences and popular Raising Children Unfundamentalist Facebook group. What was unusual about the tweet for Brant was the response it generated. More than 760 retweets, 4,000 likes, and a seemingly endless string of comments. Uh, and so let me read the tweet for you. Because uh, She says at first, it's like, whoa, this escalated quickly. And then it's also, uh, oh, I'm glad that people are engaging with this. I do talk about this all the time. So I appreciate the opportunity to get conversation going on this very important topic and very nuanced, like how we parent and faith and values. All right. So here's what she wrote uh, on January the 8th. Do not evangelize a child. Do not colonize a child's spirituality. Do not threaten a child with religious control. Your religion does not have a right to state claim to a child's allegiance. Ian Simkins.
1: Oh, you boy. Got kids. You got kids. You're, you're right in this. I do have kids. Can I just read a little bit more before yeah, but I respond? Then you're going to have to give thoughts first. Uh I'm going to read a little more first. Okay. That's the main dilemma modern parents have according to Christian Smith, a sociology professor at the Uni- University of Notre Dame, uh who I think we've referenced before. I, I think he coined it. the phrase apathyism and huh. um what's the other one that Chandler always talks about? Um uh therapeutic deism.
0: Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh
1: so he says um Parents of all faiths struggle with how much authority they have and how much to direct their children's faith versus letting them choose and figure it out for themselves. Historically, religion has been a part of being socialized into a tribe or people or nation. That has changed in the modern era as religion has become much more individualized and affirming a set of beliefs more important. But even 50 years ago, Smith said, it was presumed a child would adopt the same religion as his or her parents. It's a change in attitude the religious scholar, who is nearing 60, has seen over his own lifetime. There isn't like a settled view, what there is is parents wrestling really hard with the tension between two beliefs. Mm. Most parents still want their children to adopt beliefs similar to their own for family solidarity reasons. As much, uh, as, much as out of religion, uh, religious conviction. Smith said, some believers, such as mainline Protestants, tend to be more open-minded about it than others, like evangelicals and Jews. Some worry if they're too didactic, they'll push their children away from the faith. So mm. we talked a little bit about... Um, Millennials leaving and not coming back. We even talked about that article yep. where it was, it was equating some of the uh, some of the royal troubles with some of the issues we're seeing here in the church. I think that there are some cautions mm-hmm. about what or how much is shoved down the throats of our kids. Mm-hmm. But I also would <laughs> probably cite passages like "Train up a child," you know, like there's. Yeah. It's easy for me as a Christian. Not even as a Christian, as a as a pastor, reading this, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna teach my kids about Christianity. I want them to to know about other world religions, and I'll probably educate and yeah. give space for and, and watch documentaries. Get
0: it in yeah,
1: right, totally. But I, I think that there is there is a little there's a little bit in her tone, and again, it's Twitter, so it's like, ah, eh, how much can you even read tone? Yep. But it's just sort of like this uh, this command, this imperative. Yeah, that's good. Uh, don't don't pass this on to your children. I think. To, to not instruct them and to trust them, you know, to wrestle and doubt and struggle um, when the age is appropriate for that. Yeah. I think that also needs to be there. I want to be really clear that I'm not saying, you know, indoctrinate your kids yeah. or to, I mean, I think this can go to dangerous places, but.
0: They're going to doubt at some point. Yeah, you for sure. You and I as youth pastors sure. back in the day, uh, I'm sure you had to walk many a parent through that. Like, and now it's weird, like having kids coming of that age where you're like, uh, hey, you know, I've got to uh, figure out how to love my primarily love my kids as they maybe doubt or maybe work through these things. Uh, but, you know, it says here still want their children to you read this before to adopt belief similar to their own, primarily for family solidarity reasons. And that's not why I pass my faith on to my children. Right. It's not for family uh, solidarity. It, it might reasons. a little bit. It's a reason. Yeah. Uh, but it's not the reason. Yeah. Like, I, I think as as Christ followers, I think there's a notion of like, I'm not trying to pass on, this is not an issue uh, of passing on my favorite sports team to my kid. Right. Like, although that's a big deal to me, but <laughs> not, not <laughs> I this, evangelized not this big, right, that. But right, right, right. I know you have. That is a much smaller deal than uh, passing on faith in Jesus because as Christ followers, we believe that this is, uh, that he's the way, the truth, and life, that there is truth here, that this is – it's not just a, oh, believe whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Uh, and for me, this article and this tweet comes across that way a little bit. Like, yeah. hey, don't impose upon them. I do think when you're a parent, you could go way too hard yeah, and sure. push your kids away from the faith uh, or make cause them to not feel the freedom to come to you when they're doubting.
1: But isn't part of being a parent imposing in general? Like I'm imposing a curfew. And I'm sorry, but you have to eat the broccoli that's on your plate. You, I had and an with you, chi- one of my
0: children yesterday about whether to shower or not. Yeah, right. Like, you're going to go take a shower.
1: That's you imposing a exactly. rule, right? Exactly.
0: Exactly. So- a good
1: rule, and that's maybe more objectively good. But yep. I think the the premise sort of assumes or presupposes at least that like religion is bad, yep. and I do think there's bad religion for sure. But to say I just don't do it, I I, I think is probably not responsible.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's responsible. I think that. Now, I do think, and, and maybe we'll we'll land it this way, how would you, um, more in pastoral sense, someone who's been a youth pastor, because your kids aren't of this age yet, right? but how would you counsel a parent to like, hey, here's the best way to try to navigate this so that if and when your kids do kind of rebel or do push against, they feel the freedom to still talk to you. They know your love. They know that you still love them, that you yeah. as opposed to like, I don't believe this and now I've got to like hide it from my parents. Yeah, right. So that's the flip side of this. Uh, How would you – does anything come to mind that you give to parents of what's the best way to kind of set up that kind of relationship within their home?
1: Well, I'll first say I think that answer – in practice needs to be as diverse as people are. So like how somebody, I think it requires a lot of relational equity. And as we all know, not everyone builds relational equity the same way. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this is like love language stuff and like knowing your kid. And if you have multiple kids, you probably already know that they receive praise and discipline very differently. So like knowing all of that is important. I think fighting the urge to be knee jerk, reactionary or defensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the best things I ever saw parents do was like just choose to read the book that their kids are really interested in. Like, hey, I read this book by Richard Dawkins or I want to read this mm-hmm. book and I'm really intrigued by his premise. Like rather than like, no, there'll be no Dawkins in this household saying, oh, well, why don't we read it together? Why yeah. Like make that a shared experience, I think is one of the ways it doesn't, none of this obviously ensures anything, Yeah. but at least to say, okay, and then next time I pick a book and then we will read that together maybe yeah, and yeah, yeah. say, and, and create space for dialogue mm-hmm. rather than just, You know, stiff arming them. And again, that's different between a 17-year-old and it would be for a 12-year-old. There are different cognitive levels and different levels of responsibility. So, you know, all of that needs to be taken into consideration. But I think, you know, coming along that journey with them is really important. That's really good. Do you remember,
0: gosh, this was one of our very first shows. And uh, my old friend Kelly Brady, do you remember he said said to one of his children, I don't love you because you follow Jesus. Like I'm not basically saying I'm not going to stop loving you. I'm your dad. I'm going to be here. I butchered what he said, but I remember that sticking hmm. with me. Like uh, we want our kids to follow our faith. And yeah, follow, right. Not even our faith, to follow Jesus. Right. Um, but that's not what our love is necessarily dependent on. It complicates the relationship probably, um, but but you still love your kid.
1: And, yeah, right. And,
0: and like you said, that's a great, to have an open dialogue going. I think while it can be difficult because we can get really defensive, I think yeah. is really important.
1: Well, and to teach them to pursue the pursue the truth. Yes. And I think when they do that, And their truth might look like a different denomination. It might take longer to get there. Like, you know, that patience is, again, way easier said than done. But I I think it's important. That's good. Well, coming up next, uh, we're going to try something again
0: that you introduced and we've been kind of going with here. A little bit of rapid fire. Pew pew! Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. (laughs) Welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160 Hope for Your Life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad to have you joining us here on Thursday. And uh, I just have to remind myself of the day sometimes. Okay, it's Thursday. All right, mm-hmm. here we go. Mm-hmm. And it. uh, great. I- go find our podcast, find our Facebook page, uh, continue to interact with the show. Uh, we are grateful for or uh, start interacting or for the start very first time
1: or invite a friend to like the page. Interact together, right? Do it. Make it a small group activity. <laughs> <laughs> New Year's resolution. New Year's resolution. Pick a story at random each day and
0: comment. Yes. The first person to get a hundred friends on the Facebook page, Ian and I will take him to Panera. Wow. Maybe. I, like I mean, I'm okay show. with that. I like Panera. I do like Panera. Who doesn't like Panera? Uh, yeah, people who have problems. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: so we, uh, you introduced a new segment that I'm really enjoying called Rapid Fire. Pew, pew, pew. Oh, that was the Christian version of the uh, Because of the, pews. the yeah, pews. Yeah, exactly. Well done. <laughs> uh, so the, the thought process behind this is every now and then we come across stories that we find fascinating uh, or challenging or thought-provoking, but they're not worthy of an entire segment. We, right. we don't have that much to say about it. And so we kind of stack a couple of those together. Mm-hmm. In rapid fire,
1: Ooh. boom boom.
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, psh, 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 that's psh. the most lethargic rabbit. Rapid boom fire. boom. So I want you to tell me this story. Here we go. First one: American Zach Bitter crushes hundred mile world record. Tell us what
1: happened on this one. Okay, so first off, he ran a hundred miles. An- crazy. I haven't run a hundred is...
0: miles collectively. <laughs>
1: You know, I don't know how
0: far back in my life you'd have to go to reach 100. You miles.
1: don't have a cumulative 100 miles. I do in my lifetime, but are I, I wonder. sure?
0: I wonder how far back I'd have to go to get to 100 <laughs>
1: uh, miles. But that's besides the point. That'd be fun to calculate. So anyway, that's already cuckoo bananas, right? Like yes, that's, that's insane. Um, he ran it at a 6:48 mile pace. All hun- like hundred. The hun number mile number 100 was still at that pace. That was that's the average. The average. So right, Mile right, 100 was right. probably a good deal. More than that, after six years as the reigning American 100-mile record holder, Zach Bitter can finally claim the world record, too. After running a time of 11 19, 13 at an indoor track in Milwaukee as a part of the six days in the Dome event, the world record had eluded the 33-year-old since he unexpectedly took the American record in 2013 at the Desert Solstice Invitational, where he ran a 11:40. That was only his second 100-mile event. What? Holy cow. That's nuts. But when it sunk in that he had the American record, he wanted to do whatever it took to beat the mark set in two thousand twelve. Sorry, two thousand two by Russian Oleg. Tklar, oh boy, Char, Char-, 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 Char- Off, Yeah, at eleven twenty eight. Nearly uh, every year since then, Bitter has attempted to break the record. Okay, so let's just pause on that. Since two thousand thirteen, when he broke it, the American record. Nearly every year since then, he's tried to break it. Yeah. So, first off, this is already a lesson in perseverance. It really is. Because that's an that's an incredible undertaking to do once. He's doing it nearly every year to try and beat the record, and which the is crazy. And the other fascinating thing about this that's endurance for me, patience, it's indoor. Have
0: you ever just run on a track indoor Ugh. and the
1: boredom that that is? So boring. So how many
0: la- I don't know. so Probably do the math later on here. But how many laps is that to do 100 miles in an indoor track that's craziness. That is endurance in and of itself. Do you think he had
1: to like switch directions? Because I f- probably I feel not. Like... You don't think so? I would. Okay. Wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah. Go... Now that you're saying it, probably. Like, the, like you're, if you're going, you know, counterclockwise, like the inside of your left foot, yeah. wouldn't that you're just be? Just start to hurt. Starting oh to the... my! Yeah. I mean, it's all hurting at that point. I'm yes. assuming 100 miles. That's bonkers.
0: That is crazy. That's the first story of rapid fire. Pew, pew. <laughs> Own it, man. Come on. I don't want to
1: do it anymore.
0: (laughs) Next one is out of uh, New York. NPR, the New York Public Library, has calculated its most checked out books of all time. Interesting. So the New York Public Library has been loaning books for a long time. The institution turns 125 this year to celebrate the library dug into its records and calculated a list of 10 books that have been checked out the most in its history. So the most checked out book, here's what's interesting, of these 10, maybe this shouldn't be surprising, uh, the vast majority of them are children's books, Mm -hmm. including number one, The Snowy Day by Ezra Jack Keats. 485,583 checkouts. (laughs) That's crazy. That is crazy. Right behind it by Dr. Seuss, The Cat in the Hat. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we get our first uh, non-children's book. That's
1: non-children's book?
0: 1984.
1: Oh yeah, I'll read that to my children. Really? <laughs> no, no. 1984 by George Orwell It does say something that I'm like really
0: you would That's Yeah. Crazy. yeah. <laughs> uh, then Where the Wild Things Are By Marie Sendak uh, Then To Kill a Mockingbird uh, Great children's book Harper Lee Charlotte's Web mm-hmm. By E.B. White Fahrenheit 451 By Ray Bradbury So a lot of books <laughs> Feels like most of these Are probably checked out For kids in school Yeah right Those are all the ones You had to read How to Win Friends And Influence People By Dan Carnegie Dale Carnegie And here's the most recent book Mm -hmm. with 231,000 checkouts: Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone Mm -hmm. by J.K. Rowling. Uh, And then it ends with Eric Carle, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Do you read that one to your kids? Uh, Is that the one? I don't remember. Where the caterpillar
1: is pretty hungry. Is that right? (laughs) It's the title. Am I remembering the plot correctly? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll read that to my kids. The library's
0: top checkout book of 2019. You ready for it? Oh, boy. Becoming by Michelle Obama, her autobiography.
1: No kidding.
0: Yep. And wow. so those just found those somewhat fascinating. They gave a uh, I don't know why they gave an honorable mention. They gave an honorable mention to uh, Good Night Moon. Really? Yes. An honorable mention. That book might have been a contender for the all time top spot. But the New York Public Library children's librarian Ann Carol Moore so disliked the 1947 book that the library didn't carry it until 1972. Oh, interesting. Have you ever read – do you read Good Night Moon to your kids at all? Mm -mm. It's a little creepy. Here's why it's creepy. There's a Saturday Night Live skit uh, where uh, John Voight reads Good Night Moon. Okay. And it will ruin you for Good Night Moon.
1: Well, don't – I'm not going to watch it then.
0: Right. Watch it. All right. I'll go watch it.
1: Don't watch it with the kids. (laughs) uh, Good Night
0: Moons. uh, we used to read Good Night Moon every night to our kids.
1: I just read one to my boy that someone gifted us where he goes and makes a snowman – and he uses a tangerine for a nose, which I'd never heard of. He comes to life. They have a magical time. And then they, like, fly around town. And then he goes and he comes back in bed. And then when he woke up, gosh, he was so excited to see his magical friend again. And the book ends with him walking in and he was melted. No. <laughs> and it's just a picture of, like, the hat and tangerine oh, no. on the floor. I was like, why would, why would I read this to my child? And now, kids, we are going to talk about loss. Yeah, it was pretty. Sad. It. it's a pretty good story, though. That's, that's good. That does sound
0: fun until the end. Yep. All right. You take this one. The first national park to rent heavy-duty wheelchairs to disable visitors to enjoy the scenery. Well,
1: you just took all my thunder. It's just you title. said you take this one, and then you read all the information. I just, I just read the title. I'm oh, the title is a I – mean, That's a great point. You do now this, that, you do now this, that I read the title. You do this every time. Now that I read the title. I'm going to let you take this one. But first, <laughs> all of the information.
0: It does feel like the title. All right,
1: Ian. Take long. it away. I don't – I'm all out of it.
0: Reread the title and give us what's Don't going
1: on. patronize me. You already read it, and you read it so dang good. I can't read it better than that. The first national park to rent heavy-duty wheelchairs to disabled visitors to enjoy the scenery. It's actually really cool. I wish I could share the whole thing. I don't uh, have the time to. But it says, the loss of physical mobility or never having it to begin with can make it seem like the world is passing you by. There's a saying that the world is made for right-handers, and any southpaw would probably be able to identify with that. A similar thing could be said about folks who are able-bodied and those who are not. This world is made for people who can get around. Of course, we have wheelchair ramps, and as time goes on, we become more conscious of the struggles of others. We learn how to make life easier for others. But every once in a while, uh, something way outside the box comes around. Ideas are hatched. Someone asks, how can this wheelchair rider get to the top of that mountain? Mm -hmm. How can that wheelchair rider feel the sand between his toes maybe for the first time ever? I mean – I could just stop there. I love that vision, that kind of innovation where they're starting first with the problem and they're saying, all right, this is a thing that by and large, a lot of people just won't ever get to experience unless we figure something else out. Let's go after it. I love that kind of focus and dedication. That's
0: really cool. Let me read how this article ends. It says, ultimately, what this is really about is giving people their lives back. Some of the most beautiful Mm. experiences in life happen at the tops of mountains or the edge of the ocean. The cure for anything, they say, is salt, tears, sweat, or the sea. The inventors of these chairs understand. They know what it feels like to be so full of life and wonder at life and that it's all about to make you burst. They acknowledge that it has been lost for some people and their brilliant minds have brought about a solution. That's exactly what you were just getting Mm -hmm. at. But it's really not heavy-duty wheelchairs they've brought. It's life, raw human experience that they've brought, and that's so beautiful. What a cool story. Love it, man. You you tend to find really cool. You found that story. That's a really... (laughs) That was
1: not Well, a, I'd like if I season. said com or it, Fox News. It does also feature though the sleeping bear dunes in my home state of Michigan, so okay. I wanted to brag on Michigan a little bit. It also highlights some people doing this in uh California as yep. well. But uh yeah, I just think there's so much chaos in the world. Yeah. It's good to highlight some goodness every once in a while. It is. And that's what we do on Rapid Fire. <laughs> It's so dumb. So dumb. We got to stop. People are turning off their radio.
0: Speaking of dumb and turning off your radio, (laughs) we are going to end the show the way we do every day with just some interweb insanity. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, that music can only mean one thing. It means it's the end of the show. Uh, it is time for us to go with some interweb insanity. Uh, stories our producers have found on the interwebs, the internet, that you and I have not seen. Uh, we read them sight unseen. I actually and, already read them. And we have just a very authentic reaction to them. Oh, so.
1: I read them already. So. All right.
0: Well, you read that first one no, again You, you should do them.
1: You should do them just for the surprise. You want me to do all of them? Yeah. Nope. And, I'm I'm I'll, just, and I'll just giggle in the corner. Nope. You do the first one. Strong case. Iowa. A uh, Kansas man requests trial by combat with swords to settle custody battle with ex-wife. Hmm. Yikes. A, can- <laughs> a Kansas man has asked an Iowa judge to let him engage in a sword fight with his ex-wife and her attorney. And so her attorney. 2 one Yeah, I guess. So that he can rend their souls from their bodies. No. This can't be real. <laughs> David Ostrom, 40, who... Has lots of friends of Huala, Kansas, said in January 3rd, in a January 3rd court filing, that his former wife, Bridget Ostrom, 38, of Harlan, Iowa, and her attorney, Matthew Hudson, had destroyed him legally. The Ostroms have been embroiled in disputes over custody and visitation issues and property tax payments. The judge had the power to let the parties resolve our disputes on the field of battle legally, David Ostrom said. Adding in his filing that trial by combat has never been explicitly banned or restricted as a right in these United States.
0: You are indeed brave tonight, but the fight is mine. Oh,
1: had enough, eh? <laughs> Look, you stupid! You've got no arms left. <laughs> yes, I have. Look, just a flesh wound. So good, yes, so good. Uh,
0: the next one is just says it's out of the United States. Hmm. January sixteenth, which is today, is National Nothing Day. Each year on January the 16th, people across the nation uh, recognize National Nothing Day. That is inspiring. The observance was created as a day to provide Americans with one national day when they could just sit without celebrating, observing, or honoring anything. National Day calendar only reports the days. Sometimes they may contradict themselves. For people whose birthday lands on January 16th, wrap an empty box. That should elicit a nothing response appropriate for the celebration. It does say Martin Luther King Jr. Day falls on the third Monday of January, which means that one in seven January 16th will fall on the same day as Nothing Day, effectively, effectively usurping the nature of Nothing Day. Hmm. You get nothing. You <laughs> good. lose. Good, good day, sir. Day, sir.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't. I don't think uh, wrapping an empty box for someone's nope. birthday would have listened a nothing response. Nope. What You're, do you plan to do for Nothing Day? Nothing. Smart. You're going to be uncomfortable with this next one. I just saw it. Oh, no. <laughs> Great. Oklahoma. Well, let us remind you, we did not choose these. Yeah. Good reminder of the disclaimer. Pantsless sex offender tries to break in a couple's home through doggy door. Can I just stop? Nope. Uh, the Be Fra- a professional. Here we go. <laughs> I'm a radio professional. The Pharrell's have lived in the Sycamore Drive neighborhood for 20 years. They said they felt safe there until a prowler hopped over the fence and into their backyard. My wife was very shaken up, said 83-year-old Fred Farrell. Leroy Vance, 48, in a photo provided by the Fairfield, Fairfield Police Department. Farrell said he was working in his garage when the intruder approached the house, where his caregiving, uh, caregiver and wife, who has chronic obstructive pul- pulmonary disease, were both inside. He dropped his drawers and mooned her Stop. and was trying to get her outside. That's not a good way to get someone outside. Nope. <laughs> he said the man tried to force his way into their home through a sliding door. Then he tried the doggy door. Do you know you're not wearing any pants? <laughs> uh. <laughs> What Leroy. is that from? I don't know. It sounded like a Simpsons, but
0: uh, Leroy Vance, that made me think of The Office, right? Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration,
1: that's right. <laughs> I love oh, it. Good always, reference. He always introduces himself that way. All the time. What, what a character. Vance it's Refrigeration. What? How about a Theology According to The Office? That would be, we should Ooh. do that again. Thanks, thank
0: once, Christian. Once a week. I mean, I had the United States. Now I have all of Canada. Yeah, that's weird. Canadian officials accidentally pushed nuke alert to millions. Uh, didn't this happen a couple years ago in Hawaii? I so I think so. People throughout the Canadian province of Ontario woke Sunday to a cell phone alert warning them of an incident at a nuclear plant just east of Toronto. Only to later be told this message was a mistake. Oh, my gosh. The message, which was transmitted throughout the nation's most populous province, was accompanied by shrill emergency broadcast noise. It said an unspecified event had occurred at the Pickering Nuclear Generating Station. There was no abnormal release of radioactivity, it added, and people did not need to take proactive protective action. More than an hour later, utility officials sent another message saying the alert was sent in error and that there was no danger to the public or environment.
1: Employees of Mifflin! This has been a test of our emergency preparedness. There is no fire. It was only a simulation. <laughs> what? Fire? Not real. This was merely a training exercise. So, what have we learned? Oh, come on. It's not real, Stanley. Oh don't oh, have a heart. No, no, no. Oh, no, no. Oh, right. It's for a Oh man, that was Borderline prophetic, yes, from. thank you. Um, what I don't understand is how these things continue to happen accidentally. Yes, like shouldn't there'd be like 18 a lot steps of yes. or a box protecting the box. I just <laughs> picture someone like accidentally putting the donut box in the corner, like <laughs> hit the nuke button. But all right, last want to be but the not guy least, to cry the, the boy who cried, nuke. Like, you don't the, want to be that the guy. classic uh, tale uh, of the boy who cried, cried, nuke. nuke. Yes. What yes. a cla- i call that to my kids, regular classic <laughs> piece of literature for sure. <laughs> all right, all of Vancouver. Uh, annual snowball fight at Vancouver University postponed due to snow. That's <laughs> this is a sermon illustration right here. An annual winter event meant to help students get outside and de-stress has been postponed due to snow. Somewhat ironically, the University of British Columbia. Plays host to a campus-wide snowball fight in Vancouver each year, but a snowstorm caused organizers to put off the frosty fight. In a Facebook post, those who organized the, quote, battle plan said the event was moved to Thursday at 12.30 p.m. Classes were canceled at UBC's Point Grey campus, as well as at other post-secondary schools in the area due to poor weather conditions on Wednesday. I unfriend you. That's not how it works. <laughs> That's not how any of this works. <laughs> favorite, uh. favorite part is John saying the boy who cried nuke. Boy who cri- my, Yeah. My favorite one was you reading about the pantsless guy. <laughs> that says a lot about you, Brian. It
0: really does. It really does. We're glad you joined us today. One more show for the week. Join us tomorrow from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.